What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of the Cut the Crap Show, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that book down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets, and I'm here with you every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. This week on the Cut the Crap Show, we are talking to Harvard lecturer and three times over New York Times bestselling author, Sean Aker. Today we're talking about his second book called Before Happiness, The Five Hidden Keys to Achieving Success, Spreading Happiness, and Sustaining Positive Change. Now I know personally, I know this very well, reading all your comments and reading the emails, the messages I receive from all of you. A lot of you tune into the podcast for a little bit of inspiration, to feel good, to get some information, to get some education. A lot of you say you just love... (laughs) It sounds kind of funny, but you just love listening to me because it gets energy from my voice. And that's cool. I love hearing that. But what I find very scary is this epidemic that we're facing today. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it is an epidemic. Anxiety, depression, rates of suicide, all of these things, they're climbing dramatically. And it's terrifying because we're not doing enough to study happiness study coping strategies, study philosophies, approaches, tactics that we can use to manage our own mental mindset to keep ourselves in a positive state of mind. Now, I know it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult, but we have to do it. And if I can do something about it, then I'm absolutely going to do that. So by bringing an author on the show like Sean Aker, who studies happiness, that's the first thing that I can do. So when I first started talking to Sean, I had to understand what He does for a living. He's a happiness researcher. It was the first I've ever heard of that. So I am a happiness researcher, which I didn't realize was even a thing until (laughs) I fell backwards into it. I was at the Divinity School at Harvard studying Christian and Buddhist ethics, looking at how your belief systems change the way you act in the world, why you give, why you forgive, why you're waking up in the morning. And while I was doing that, some people in the psychology department said, All those questions you're asking about happiness, joy, compassion, we can measure those. We can quantify if somebody's becoming happier or finding more joy or finding more meaning in their life. And at first I was very hesitant because it seems very soft. Mm. Happiness, I thought, was a mystery. So there's no way you could have science about it. Of course, we could study things like depression disorder and anxiety. Um, Those sound negative, so they sound like they're hard, so we can study them. But it turns out they're the same metrics, the same you know, tests that we could be using. It's just the other side of the spectrum. So as soon as I realized that you can measure things like happiness and joy, we could figure out what was actually causing people to experience more joy. And then we could replicate that in their lives. And we could spread that out to companies and schools. Um, And I got hooked doing it. So I started on the research side of it at Harvard, spent 12 years there, but then realized that so much of this research was being done, but that people didn't know about it. Hmm. So in the middle of the economic downturn, I went out to start battle testing this research out with people's lives as they were entrepreneurs, as they were leading companies, as they were trying to teach students to overcome challenges um, and see if we could actually find research that would help people not only find greater levels of happiness, but in my initial research, we found that when somebody became happier, every single business and educational outcome improved. So I got hooked and I've been doing it ever since. Now, before we dug into this interview, I had to ask Sean a question. And it's a question that I got asked before. 
and I gave my opinion on that, but as a Harvard lecturer and somebody who's done a whole heck of a lot of research, I had to ask him what his opinion was. Because there's a lot of people out there who say that happiness, it's overrated. You don't need to be happy to be successful, Ryan. What are you talking about? You gotta grind. You gotta drive. You gotta be focused. It doesn't matter if you're happy or not. Look at me. I'm miserable, but I'm successful. Happiness, overrated. So when I hear people say things like that, this is the man I ask. I had to ask him that question. How does he respond to comments like that? Um, I, it would be a sad way to go through life. But <laughs> if somebody only cared about success, if they only cared about work, I would still say happiness is important. Because mm-hmm. what we're finding is that if somebody can find ways of deepening their gratitude, raising their levels of optimism, deepening their social connections, when they become happier doing those things, turns out every single success rate rises dramatically for them. The greatest predictor of sales success is uh, your optimism score. Mm-hmm. Greatest predictor of entrepreneurial success is your optimism score, your ability to sustain energy and to be more productive and to make deeper connections and to be able to withstand the challenges we experience. All of that's based upon a positive brain. So if somebody only cared about success in their working life, I would say, great, that's fine then the first place you should start is with happiness. And that's what we did with the Harvard students. Mm. You know, at first the Harvard students, it wasn't that they didn't want happiness. They were willing to delay it for a long time. They're like, I'm going to work really hard in college. I'm going to work really hard as an investment banker. I'm going to work really hard until I have $100 million, and then I'll feel happier. (laughs) And so if they cared about money or grades, what we told them is, look at all this research. The best way we can raise your grades and increase your likelihood of increasing your wealth is to raise your levels of optimism and happiness scores. Um, Happiness is the greatest competitive advantage in the modern economy uh, based upon all this research. Literally every business outcome we know how to test for arises when the brain is positive. But the other side of it is I think we really want happiness. It's just we don't think we can get it yet. We think we have to wait until some sort of success off in the future. We think, you know, once I have this nest egg, then I'll feel happier. Once I have this position, once I have this number of sales, once I have this number of views, then I'll feel happier. The problem is every time your brain has a success, your brain is designed to make it so that your brain changes the goalpost of what success looks like. So even if you got good grades in school, now you need to get better grades so you can get into a better school. You get into a good school, don't get excited, you need a a job now. You don't even have a job. You, You get a job, you hit your targets, now you need to raise those targets. You make you write a book, now you want it to be a bestseller. You you know have 100,000 views, now you need a million views, right? And so the problem is, that's not the problem. That That's actually adaptive. We want to see what the brain's capable of. The problem is, if we wait for happiness after success, it never comes. Um, I work mm. with people who made $100 million, and they're miserable because they realize that happiness didn't exist on the opposite side of it. I work with celebrities who have everything in the world except happiness because they've they kept pushing off social connection and optimism and gratitude. And as a result of that, they never experienced the happiness and joy that could have fueled them even more along in the process. So what I'd say to that person is, you know, don't wait for happiness. Happiness is an incredible advantage, but it's also the reason we're working so hard in the first place. So if we miss it, we missed out on success. Happiness is the ultimate competitive advantage. Now, when Sean said that, man, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Because like I said, there's a lot of people out there who bought that bill of goods that say you don't need to be happy in order to be successful. Hey, listen, 
that's the bill of goods you bought. That's not my bill of goods. I didn't buy that bill of goods. For me, I know that happiness is success. I want to be happy. I want to be in a positive state of mind at all times. And if I'm not, I will work hard to try to get there so that I am in that positive state of mind. It's so important to me. Now, as we crack into this episode with golden nugget number one, I wanted Sean to talk a little bit more about this idea that he talks about. It's called positive reality. And he says that to become happier, we have to create this positive reality because it encourages and enables our happiness. So I had to ask him to clarify what that meant. Well, I think in every moment, there's multiple realities that are possible, right? I can go through and outline all the negatives that have occurred in my life, all the traumas, all the failures and setbacks, and that could be my biography of my life. Um, And all of it's true, but it also misses out on how those failures led to some huge successes in my life, or that um, it also ignores the fact that, you know, I have a family or that I love getting to share this happiness research. So what, what, what what we're looking for is both of those are true. And if you look out at the world, there's a lot of suffering that's occurring. If you look out the world, there's a lot of things to be frustrated about. But if you also look out the world, if we're looking in reality, there's also a lot of things we're ignoring that are incredible. Mm. Um, Magical moments of nature, beautiful connections that are being, uh, they're occurring. Um, There are babies born every day, marriages that are going to last that happen every day. So um, in the midst of that, if there are multiple realities, then the question is, which reality is going to serve me the best? Which one is going to be the most adaptive reality for me to be able to adopt? One of the things I talk about in my, my previous book, which is called The Happiness Advantage, we were looking at um, not irrational optimism, which actually gives happiness a bad name. Hmm. When people push against happiness, they're usually pushing against people who are irrational optimists because they sugarcoat reality. They don't really see reality. They ignore all the problems, and then they don't fix any of them. Hmm. They don't fix any of those problems within their life. Um, also, people stop believing in their leadership and advice because they think that they're divorced from reality. Um, we don't want that type of response to the world. That's maladaptive. What we want is rational optimism, which doesn't start with rose-colored glasses about your life or the world, about your job. It starts with as much realism as you can take. But in the midst of that realism, you maintain the belief that eventually my behavior will matter if linked to the right people. And that's people in real life. That's the podcasts you listen to. That's the books you read. That's the people you surround yourself with. That if you have that approach, what we do is we can get people to not be paralyzed by, by the problems that they see, but also not have to ignore those problems within their life. So as we get people to look at their daily life, what we get them to do is we try to get them to start with reality, but make sure that that reality is an adaptive one. So we look for where are the real strengths that you have? What are the resources you actually have to overcome the challenges you have? If you're feeling you know, uh, here's a, a, a practical example. Um, I get delayed all the time. I give about 100 talks a year. So I'm on planes a lot. And I have two little kids at home, so I'm wanting to get home to them. Mm-hmm. So when I get delayed, I'm really frustrated right. and because I, I just want to be home with them. And then I start ruminating. I'm like, not only I'm late, maybe I'm traveling too much and I'm working too hard. Maybe this doesn't matter. It goes down this whole negative cycle. And the reality is I was delayed. I was delayed an hour. But then I look up at the... You know, at, at the other flights are going out, and I realized, you know, more than half of them were two or three hours delayed mm-hmm. in the midst of that storm I was just in, mm-hmm. right? So 
the fact that I'm getting out in an hour is actually incredible compared to what it could have been within that moment. Mm. And I'm coming home from a talk where I just spoke to 3,000 people about happiness research, (laughs) coming home to kids and to a wife. So suddenly I've got perspective again. So in that moment, I can focus on all the negatives and it just makes that that flight and that delay miserable. Or I can focus on the fact that in this moment, I have some time to myself to actually catch up with a friend, give them a call, and I'm going home to a great family and I got to do something wonderful. In that moment, I feel recharged and rejuvenated by the exact same reality. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're looking for, those pivot moments within your life where yes, somebody who's negative, they're right. There are some things in reality that are negative, but they might not be serving them. (laughs) When he mentioned the term pivot, I had to laugh a little bit because my very close friends and I, we have this little joke where if we get stuck in this rabbit hole of we're talking about something negative or something that upsets us, all of a sudden we shake our heads and we say, okay, guys, we got to pivot here. We got to pivot for a moment because we just get stuck in this this rabbit hole of negativity. We we make it as a joke, but we pivot to change the subject, change the topic at hand, and we talk about something that's more important, something that's more positive because we know how important it is to stay in a positive reality. And all jokes aside, that is important. Because how often do you get caught in your day where somebody's talking about something that gets you upset? Maybe it's the news, or maybe it's about your boss, or maybe it's about a certain situation at work, or your family, and all of a sudden it's just negative, negative, complain, complain, and all of a sudden your reality, what you're experiencing, is very negative. And you feel it on your body. You feel it. You feel it on your mind. It drains your energy. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want to live in that reality. I want to move back to a positive reality. And we face trouble all the time. And we have to do our best to keep ourselves in that positive reality. A quick story for you. I know a lot of you who follow me on LinkedIn, you know I've told this story before. I might have even told it on the show before. But it was when my car got hit. I'll make this story really quick. But my car got hit, brand new car, really happy about it. But I wasn't happy about the accident. Somebody came in, T-boned me. My car was destroyed. I was really upset about it. After the accident, I sat there alone by myself and all of a sudden I just felt it on my body. If you asked me how I felt on a scale of 1 to 10, I was angry, I was sad, I was at a level 10. But then my programming kicked in and I figured, okay, you know what, this really isn't a 10. How can I take this from a 10 to a 5? And in that moment, where I was in that moment feeling very negative, I knew that I could change it. I knew I could take control. So I started asking myself some better questions. I focused on gratitude. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful she's okay. I'm grateful that I have insurance, that I can pay for this this accident. I'm grateful that I have a family. I'm grateful that I have whatever, yada, yada, yada. I was uh, focused on all the things I was grateful for. So I took that from a 10 to all of a sudden a 5. I started to feel a little bit better about myself. Then I used my philosophies to kick in. Now, this isn't a setback. It's a setup. You might say, well, what's the possible setup from this car accident? I'll tell you what it is. Awareness. I'm glad that I have the awareness now to maybe look both ways. I was too nonchalant behind the wheel. I should have seen this coming. Well, people say, well, Ryan, it's not your fault. Listen, I should have been more aware. I could have seen that coming. And so you know what this is? It's a lesson in awareness to be more aware behind the wheel. And don't be so nonchalant. So this right here, this accident might save my life in the future. So all of a sudden now I go from a five to a two. Or you know what? I'm a little upset, but not that much anymore. I chose to move myself back to a positive reality. And every single one of you has the potential to do that, but you have to want to do it. And not only do you have to want to do it, you have to know the ways that you can do that. 
Right? I know for myself, gratitude, philosophies, those are the things that bring me back to a positive reality. Now, as we go through the rest of the book, we're going to go through five different skills. So skill number one, which is actually golden nugget number two, is choose the most valuable reality. So I, th- I think that there's a lot. Of, I, I love your example of in that moment of getting hit by a car, you can focus one part of your reality is that you just messed up your brand new car. The other part of the reality is that you're alive and you still have all these strengths that you can still utilize. You still have a, a business and friends are around you. So that's what we're getting people to look for. So um, that can actually be practiced. What I really work hard in my books on is that I don't want to just have a global idea of like, hey, just choose happiness which is very difficult to do if you don't back it up with a behavioral change as well. That's why so many diets don't work, right? That if you just make a mindset change without a behavioral change, it's very hard to sustain any sort of change once the negative occurs. Um, so one of the behavioral steps, and you alluded to this as well, um, is, is practicing gratitude, but practicing gratitude in a very specific way. So post the bombings that occurred in, um, up in Boston, I was working with critical care nurses um, and some of them taught me that one of the things that they do is that they see trauma all the time and they know that it's coming up within their lives. So they actually prepare for it. They create what's called an in case of emergency folder. And it's a manila folder they keep on their desk. Of course, somebody could do this digitally, but they, they would keep a manila folder on their desk. And over the course of the year, anytime something really good would happen, they got a thank you note from somebody or somebody's chart really improved, or they got a drawing from a kid that they were able to help when they were sick. They would slide those into this manila folder and they start to accumulate over time. And then when that terrible, awful, no good day happens, they open up that folder Mm -hmm. and on those in case of emergency days. And those are days when they've lost somebody or something terrible has happened within their world. And it's so easy to slide down this, this, depressive track and instead in that moment they've practiced they've created that habit that you talked about that practice where they can open up that folder and now they have a storehouse of positive imagery from their brain that they can use not necessarily to negate the negative that occurred but to at least neutralize the impact and at least counterbalance it so that it's i oftentimes when i find something negative going on in my world and it's stopping somebody in their work or in their life it's because that negative becomes the entirety of the reality. They can't seem to see past it. And what you're doing is you're giving access to your brain to those points in reality that are equally valid, that are equally true, those most valuable parts of your reality that can help balance out to give you perspective in that moment. So that's what we're hoping people to do is mm-hmm. to look for those positives and practice that on a daily basis, thinking of three new things you're grateful for every day, doing it while you're at a stoplight, doing it mm-hmm. every time something negative happens. That's actually my pattern when I get delayed now mm-hmm. is the very first thing I do is I think about things I'm grateful for because I know that's one of my triggers. So in that moment, it's really hard. It's, it's almost right. like my brain won't look for something it's grateful for at, at first. But once it does, then it starts to have access to all these positive things that are in my life that return perspective back to me and help me to build up that most valuable reality mm-hmm. to help me move forward again staying in the depressive state. How's that for a takeaway? Very tangible. The in case of emergency folder where you can go back when you're having a really bad day, open up that folder and see all the things that you're grateful for. Because in that moment, when you're feeling really crappy about yourself, you might not be able to see so clearly. You crack that folder open, all of a sudden you see all these different cards in there and it'll remind you of all the things you're grateful for. So if you're too upset, if you're too overwhelmed and you can't sit down, you can't separate yourself from the moment, from the reality that you're in, 
and you can't look at the bigger picture, then at least you have something. You have a resource that you can turn to. Such a great takeaway. But there's a question that I had to ask Sean. And it's this idea that pain drives change. We're driven by pain and pleasure. We either want to run towards pleasure or we want to run away from pain. So if we're in a painful state right now, we're not feeling good. Maybe we're working in a workplace that we're not happy about. We don't like the boss. We don't like the culture. Whatever it is. We don't like our current state, our current reality. But if we keep focusing on what we're grateful for, do we not kind of dull that pain? So in the end, could this not hurt us? Could trying to put ourselves in an irrational state of, of optimism hurt us? Well, yes, it can. So I had to ask Sean this question so that he can go into more detail so that I can understand if gratitude can have a negative impact on our circumstances. I think it's a really good point. Um, to me, the opposite of happiness isn't unhappiness. Unhappiness fuels great change. Mm-hmm. If you're unhappy at your job, you might be in the wrong job. If you're unhappy in a relationship, you might be in the wrong relationship. Mm-hmm. You're unhappy because you're doing something immoral or you're doing something that you know is getting in the way of your success in your life. That unhappiness is valuable. It moves change, right? Like mm-hmm. when I was lonely, that unhappiness is good because it pushes me to seek out social connection, which is the greatest predictor of long-term happiness. Hmm. The opposite of what I fight for, fight against in positive psychology is apathy. And apathy is the hmm. belief that my behavior doesn't matter because um, you lose that joy you feel moving towards your potential. So somebody can experience pain and get stuck. The only thing that allows you to move from pain to a point where I can then use that pain to move forward is the belief that your behavior matters. That's why I wrote Before Happiness, because I talked about the happiness advantage and this idea that happiness is an incredible advantage in your life. But before somebody can choose happiness, they have to believe that their behavior will eventually matter. So two people can experience pain. They could be like, I hate my job. And one person will be like, I hate my job and my life sucks. Mm. Or another person will be like, I hate my job, but I know I have strengths that I can use to get out of this job. Or I know I can do something that's going to cause us to become better. Or at least I can meet up with my friends and vent with them because I know that my social Mm. connections are the most meaningful part of my life. And so then what you get in that moment is not that pain and happiness are are working against one another. It's they're working together with one another. Happiness to me is the joy you feel moving towards your potential. It's that desire to keep moving when we're in that painful state. So I think pain can cause amazing gain only if we continue to have that fuel that gaining is worth it in our lives. Now, I absolutely love that distinction that Sean just made there with regards to being unhappy. Being unhappy is not necessarily a negative thing. And in fact, it can be a positive thing because it can force pain in your life. And that pain can drive change. If you change, that might bring about positive results in your life that do make you happy. So if right now you're feeling unhappy, maybe you're unhappy about where you work. You're unhappy about the people you work with. You're unhappy with the money that you're making then the only answer to that is you need to change. And it might be very easy for me to say that, oh, you got to change. Listen, I get it. It's easy to say change. It's hard to change. But you have to start. Ask yourself a better question first off. Make sure your mind is in the right place. You might say, well, there's not enough jobs out there for me, Ryan, or there's no jobs out there that'll pay me the kind of money that I want, Ryan. Listen, I I get that. You can say that all you want, but if you just say that to me right now, you've already lost the game. Instead, what you need to focus on is a different question. What do I need to learn in order to make more money? Who do I need to talk to to open up new opportunities for me? 
if I'm not going to get the job from just applying with a resume on certain job application sites, what can I do instead? How do I make the X amount of money that I need in order to be happy? By asking better questions, questions that empower you, it'll put you in a better state of mind. And when you get in a better state of mind, you'll be able to think clearly and you'll hopefully bring about a different result. But I'm telling you, now we're getting into programming. It's very, very difficult when you start talking about the programming of your mind and how it either helps you or hurts you. In any case, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I tend to do that when I talk about stuff that's very passionate to me. And I hope it comes through on the show that way. But I want to get back on track here because I want to talk about golden nugget number three, which is actually skill number two, make a mental map for success. So when you think about a mental map, you're very likely thinking about your roadmap to success and certain markers on that map that ensure that you're on the right track, making sure you're in the right direction. So I had to ask Sean, what does he mean by a mental map for success? So we did this experiment at Harvard where we got the students to map um, Harvard Square and Cambridge. And what we find was that uh, as they did that, they would pretty much put like, you know, if they studied a lot, the library would be big and central on their map. And for some of the students who didn't study, they were out drinking a lot. Um, the library didn't even make it onto their map. So <laughs> our brain has a limited <laughs> our brain has a limited amount of resources to experience the world. So what we want to do is we want to map those moments in our life, those meaning markers that we know have the, uh, have an impact upon our lives and can help move us forward when we're in a difficult state. So, um, for example, uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, one of the things that happens is that we, especially when we're working really hard and we're having some successes at work, we start to start to find a lot of meaning in our work. So we put more and more resources there, um, but the problem is the more we do that, we can also risk uh, workaholism, which is that's pretty much the only place I get pleasure in my life. We put all of our happiness eggs in one basket. Right. And just as we would diversify a financial portfolio, the same thing is true with our happiness as well. If you're in one stock, you're in a very fragile space mm. um, financially. Mm -hmm. If you're spread out across the board, you have a much more uh, – positive response when negative occurs within our lives. Same thing is true with meaning in our lives. So what we get people to do is to map the meaning that they're experiencing in their life. Where are they finding the most joy, the most meaning in their life? And oftentimes they're like, I found my work and my family and that's it. Hmm. And they miss out on the fact that I love being out in nature. You know, like I love doing art. I love playing basketball. And as a result of those, those you know, I don't play basketball very much because it's not making it onto that, that mental map. So what we get people to do is to diversify their meaning portfolio, to scan for the things that they know when it's part of their life, they do so much better than when they don't have that in their life. Mm. So maybe it's they read a book a week like you're, like you're describing. That's when they're the most uh, positive and pr productive in their life. Um, mm. I, I have a one that shouldn't actually be meaningful, but it actually works. When I wrote um, Before Happiness in, in my new book, um, I actually played way more video games than I do normally. I don't play video games actually most of the time, but for me, like I enjoy doing it with some of my friends. Um, and so it was something that provided me joy. There was a great outlet in that moment. And so it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, actually doing this and playing tennis were two things I added back into my life to cause me to be hyper productive, to be able to write more than I, I had. And then when I go back, I, I take out some of those things, you know, I, what's interesting is I talk to people and they're like, you know, I used to 
journal about positive experiences in my life. And when I did that, those were amazing. And I still have those journals. I asked them if they do it now, and they're like, oh, no, I haven't done it for a decade. Hmm. If it was so meaningful, why don't we do it in our life? Right. If you have a friend that you see that every time you meet up with them or every time you listen to a certain podcast or a certain book, um, that it makes you want to – it makes you feel that joy moving towards your potential, insert it back into your life. So that's what we're trying to get people to do is to diversify their meaning portfolio. So it's not just about work or it's not just about their kid or it's not just about their six pack. They can see multiple points of meaning that allow them to be better at achieving those goals because when they're having a negative day in that one domain, they've got the other ones to protect them. Now, as we talk about your mental map for success, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention map hijackers. You have to know about map hijackers because if you don't, if you're not aware of them, they could creep in and they could challenge your success. No, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite side of it. There are certain things in my life, triggers, that when I do them, I you know, go in the complete opposite direction. You know? um, so uh, there's certain things like if you know, so uh, for some of those, uh, well, you know, we were testing actually initially uh, people that were drug addicts. Mm. And they put, uh, they, uh, they agreed to do this. They allowed to have GPS um, attract them on their phone um, to be part of the study. And what they found was that they were able to stay clean when they were on certain streets. But as soon as they started walking on other streets, you knew that they were actually going to go down a bad path because I was leading them closer to those map hijackers, those things that hijack you from the positive in your life. So not only do you look for the things that are meaningful, you look for the things you know get in your way, hmm. right? Like if it's drinking in the evenings too much that you know slows you down in the mornings, you don't jump up and get into work or hmm. that slows down your workout, you know that's a hijacker for you, right? If seeing a certain friend in your life, you know as soon as you're around them, it makes you feel more negative and you you know feel frustrated or you you know don't like certain people in your life or this negative you try to avoid those just as those addicts are avoiding certain streets mm-hmm. so those map hijackers are the things you need to avoid in your life and they're they're different for everyone so it's worthwhile to take five minutes ten minutes in front of a computer and just write down those things that provide meaning aside from your work that you can use to diversify your meaning portfolio, but also the, to be scanning for those things you know get in the way. And they could be simple behaviors. Like for example, I have a friend who always would get into a fight with her mom and she found out she was calling her mom after eight o'clock at night when she was tired after she'd been working a very long day. And if she talked to her before eight, they didn't get into a fight. So it was literally lack of resources. So that hijacking behavior was simply a change from before eight to after eight. Um, wow. So she was able to make a very simple change within her life. So as we move into the next golden nugget, we're talking golden nugget number four, which is actually skill number three in the book, taking advantage of the X spot. So what exactly is the X spot and how does that impact our happiness? This was actually one of the coolest discoveries I had with the experiment. Um, it happened when I was doing the work with uh, the Boston Marathon after the bombing. Um, turns out that uh, the most, and it sounds negative at first, but the most heart attacks that occur in a marathon, um, the most you know, heart events occur not at the beginning of the race when people shouldn't have been running in the first place. Um, they actually happen one-tenth of a mile before they finish the race. Right. So they've already done the entire race. It's when they turn that corner and they see the finish line 
their brain drops so many positive uh, neurochemicals into their system, giving them energy because they're close to the end goal, mm-hmm. that at that extraordinarily fatigued state, their body just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. So we don't want people having heart attacks, but what we realized in that moment is that the brain was holding resources that we could be using earlier on in the process mm-hmm. if we could change how we experience the world. Two things motivate us towards a goal, and I know people listening you know, have entrepreneurial goals or workout goals or work goals or family goals, whatever it is that, it, that you're looking for, two things propel your brain towards those successes, high, increase the chances of success for that. Um, the first one is uh, progress perceived, how much progress you feel like you've made towards that goal already. So if you're at the start of something, you don't feel any of that, that uh, rejuvenating benefit. Um, but if you feel like you've made a lot of progress on the goal, your brain's like, let's just finish this up. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that is uh, that it's proximity to the goal. So that's what's happening in the X spot. As soon as you realize you're close to the goal, people speed up. Just as I'm running back, they say it has a nose for the touchdown mm-hmm. uh, for, an in, for the end zone. That's because in those last five yards, they become superhuman, right? They push harder than they normally would. They're spinning and diving and reaching out as much as they can for that goal because their brain's like, hey, it's so close. Mm-hmm. Let's release all these resources to do that. So if that's the case, why don't we use that uh, to our advantage? So what we have people to do is, is to outline three or four goals you're working on within your life in different domains of your life, and then to highlight the progress you've already had that you've already experienced on some of those goals. So um, what happens oftentimes on you know, January 1st is we're like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to run a marathon, but you're not running at all right now. So you're starting pretty much at zero. So that's a very difficult way to start that process. So instead, to show progress you've made in the past, what we get people to do in those moments is to scan back for successes that they've already had in different domains mm. that they could use to apply there. Like, I'm not running. But, you know, I, I did go to the gym, you know, three times mm-hmm. a week, so I can just import that over. Or, you know, I worked really hard for, um, you know, building, you know, building that thing in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And that took a lot of effort and I was able to accomplish it. I can do this, too. Um, trying to show progress along the way. It's the same thing with sales. If you start over your sales cycle at zero each time, mm-hmm. it feels much more frustrating than when you actually start to take a longer perspective to see how there's a trend going on in your sales as opposed to starting at zero which is like starting at the beginning of the race. Right. But then also, and I think this is the more helpful part, the X spot part, is um, showing proximity to goal, which if your goal is a long-term goal, like you want to make a ton of money or if you want to you know, achieve some sort of position or write a book, if you're starting off that process, that's very far away. But if your goal is, I want to write 1,000 words this week or 2,000 words this week, you're putting that goal so much closer, so you're gonna benefit from that X-spot response that your brain has. So that's what we do. We chunk those long-term goals into shorter ones, so you have more of those uh, goal lines to get close to, so your brain is continually releasing that X-spot benefit as you're going on in the process. So if you have a long-term goal, chop it up into smaller ones so you can actually benefit from that. Now, I absolutely love this because this will help you become more successful. It'll make you feel more fulfilled. You'll feel like you're making progress. All those things are positive, every single one of them. So again, create your X spots by breaking big projects down into smaller tasks. So for example, set your X spot at the 70% mark. If your goal is to raise whatever, a million dollars, reward your team when they reach $700,000. Go out and celebrate when you reach $700,000. That'll help you build momentum. That'll help your team build momentum to push forward. 
Writing down your progress can be a huge, a huge, powerful motivator. After I read this, I definitely started to make use of X-Spots. So now let's crack into golden nugget number five, which is skill number four in the book. Heed positive signals and cancel the noise that distorts reality. We had a lot of noise today. Noise that comes from computers, from phones, from advertising, from TV, from our friends, from the radio. There is noise all around us. Noise coming from technology, noise in our own minds. Learning to shut the noise off, that's a competitive advantage. When you're looking at in, in research, what we find oftentimes is that there's a lot of noises out there, a lot of different data. And so what you're looking for is the signal, which is actually the true message you were looking for. I find that when I travel, I, I wear um, noise canceling headphones when I'm on the planes, because as soon as I'm able to quiet out that noise, I relax. Um, and what's happening in that moment is that when your brain is experiencing a lot of information, even if it's good information, you're on social media and you're seeing all this interesting stuff, although not most of it's positive, but let's assume it was for a second. Even if it's all positive and you open up your inbox and all these amazing things are happening to you, all of that is information. But if you get too much information at the same time, even if it's positive, your brain feels like it's under threat because it's too much information to process. And anytime your brain is under threat, the very first thing you do is you stop looking for the positive, you scan for the threats because you're in a threatened state. And when you scan for threats, you find a lot more of them. So noise itself within our lives actually causes our brain to scan for the negative instead of for the things that move us forward, which is the signal. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking for is how do we quiet the noise a little bit within our lives? There's a great study that they found that if you're trying to learn a new skill set, um, they took juggling for the psychology experiment. If you're learning juggling for the first time, if they teach you to juggle, you're practicing it, and then they put you into a noisy urban environment mm -hmm. versus into a quiet nature for the 10 minutes afterwards, people learn juggling so much faster and code it for the long term, and they're able to actually juggle three or four balls much faster than individuals that were in the, the noisy environment. The reason for that is when there's noise, your brain doesn't have time to process information. Mm -hmm. So what, we were, what I was realizing is we just need more opportunity to cancel the noise within our lives. Um, and that comes in two forms. One of the one pieces of noise is just the information that's coming in. So one of the things that I started doing is that when I was watching TV I, by myself, I would just mute the, com mm -hmm. the commercials. Mm -hmm. um, it gave me three minutes of quiet, um, right? And like I would try not to watch the screen too much. Um, but in those three minutes, suddenly it went from, you know, the football game with all the loud noise in the background to just silence for that's a little right. bit. And I could feel my body start to calm down a little mm -hmm. bit. And what's happening in that moment is my brain is encoding all the negative, And then it's like, okay, hey, we can scan for the positive, And it starts mm -hmm. to calm down, which allows my brain to experience the happiness advantage on the backside of it. That's right. So maybe it's just turning off the radio for just the first five minutes of the commute, then turning on something that's positive, right? A positive podcast that you're mm -hmm. listening to. Just giving those moments in your day, which are intentional, quiet moments. For me, I had... I had added in eight minutes of meditation a day awesome. to begin with. And that those meditations or turning off the commercials, those had a, a huge effect upon quieting my system and call, causing me to feel more calm. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is that noise is often, oftentimes negative. So if I'm looking for meaning or things that move me forward in my life, I have tons of noise coming in that's just negative that doesn't get in my way, that gets in my way, mm -hmm. doesn't move me forward. So you know, I, I love, I'm not going to call out the shows because I love them and I, <laughs> people should watch them, but there's some shows that I would watch that I would binge watch on Netflix and then like 
I really love them. They're well done, but I didn't feel like they moved me forward. Mm-hmm. Like in fact, afterwards I'd feel more frustrated or feel mm-hmm. more violent where, you know, I'd feel like, mm-hmm. so I find that there's certain podcasts I listen to. There's certain, uh, uh, uh books that I read. There's certain things that I, uh, watch and listen to that, um, when I have those in my life, I move forward. So right. what I did was I just quieted some of the noise I was experiencing. Um, same thing with social media. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have a new book that came out called Big Potential. One thing mm-hmm. I, I learned in that one is I create a mental mode in my day, which has the same effect. And that mental mode is the first 30 minutes of the day and the last 30 minutes. So surrounding my day, the first 30 minutes, the last 30 minutes of the day, you have the lowest amount of mental resources to deal with problems. So if a problem happens then, your brain actually suffers from it much more. But that's when I was going on my email. That was when I was checking social media before I would go to sleep or read the news. And I would get frustrated and then I'd go to sleep or, or not go to sleep in that case. Um, so I still watch the news. I still go on social media. I still check my inbox. But I do it not in those first three minutes or last three minutes a day because that's the weakest part of my day. Right. So I quieted the noise there to allow me to be able to defend against the negative better later on. Now, if you were to reduce noise by just 5%, It's going to boost your signal, and it's going to help you lead a happier, healthier, more productive life. So if I were you, I would be trying to decrease the noise consumption in your life by just 5%. And again, Sean mentioned a few of those things. Don't turn on your radio during the first five minutes of your trip. Turn off the radio when speaking to other passengers. Mute your TV and online advertising. Delete news media links from your bookmarks. Limit your intake of predictions from political or financial commentators. Don't read articles about tragedies that you can have no impact on. When you're working, listen to music without lyrics. There are so many little things that you can do to make a really big impact. And these changes, they're not big sweeping changes. They're small little things. And sometimes it's the small things compounded on one another that can make a really big difference. So now we move on to the last golden nugget. Golden nugget number six, which is skill number five. Create a positive reality. So as we finish up on this strong note, how exactly do we create a positive reality for ourselves? So in order to create a really positive reality within our life, we need to do exactly what you're describing. I think there's two things, and I've actually learned something since before happiness that I wanted to share as well. Um, That uh, the thing that you're you're just emphasizing, I think is the most important part. Part, which is I actually said the when I first got into the, this I was looking for what's the smallest amount of change you can make in somebody's life that would have the biggest ramifications in the long run and the, oftentimes the mental challenge is that the things we found that are small we think they're too small they won't actually work so in our mind we want something huge like t- tell me to go meditate for 80 80 days on a mountainside you know <laughs> but then I also know you're not going to do that That's right. <laughs> no you're not going to do that you're working really hard right you got family and friends so we could pick the big things, but those are actually, you have the least likelihood of actually doing them. The small things you could actually do if we could get over that mental barrier that it won't work, which is why we've been doing all this research to quantify what actually creates positive changes within people's lives. Um, what I learned since before happiness that I would append to this final section is that the, the, to create a positive reality, we need to create one uh, not alone, but with other people. Um, the greatest predictor of long-term levels of happiness um, is our social support score. That's the breadth, the depth, and the meaning and we feel in our social relationships. The greatest predictor of entrepreneurial success, the greatest predictor of long-term success, however you define it, 
is your social support network. Other people are key to that uh, most valuable reality that we're creating around us. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is that as you're trying to create these positive changes in your life, don't try to do it alone. Actually try to create positive change with other people. There's a fantastic study. Um, I actually started um, uh, I have this new book called Big Potential that I started with this study that's now my favorite study, which is, and it sounds boring, but it's the, how we create that most valuable reality. If you're viewing a mountain in front of you, researchers two years ago discovered that if I'm viewing a mountain in front of me that I need to climb by myself, my brain perceives a mountain. It actually shows me a picture of a mountain that is 10 to 20% steeper than a mountain of the same height I perceive while standing next to a friend who's going to climb it with me. Hmm. That's stunning because the mountain in front of us is not changing. Um, I always thought if I saw a mountain in front of me, a challenge, I know how big it is, so I know how I'm going to overcome it. Now what we realize is if you feel like you're trying to overcome a hill by yourself as opposed to with somebody else, your brain is showing you a mountain that's much bigger mm. than what you, your brain sees when you're doing this alone. So if that's the case, if social connection is the greatest predictor of our long-term mm -hmm. levels of success, how do we create these positive changes with other people? Um, so, for example, the gratitude exercises we were talking about at the beginning, something that sounds so simple, th scanning for three new things you're grateful for each day, uh, to create a positive change in your life. We found in the research that if you're a genetic pessimist, if you scan for three new things you're grateful for each day, for 21 days in a row, you start testing as a low-level optimist. Wow. Literally life-changing wow. change, uh, changes that could occur from these disruptions. Um, that works with four-year-old children up to 84 years of age, which wow. is stunning effects, and the pattern continues if you do it for more than six months. Um, so we went in, we work with all these people that are like, you know, I have a very serious job. Like the things I'm doing are very important. I don't have time to sit around thinking of things I'm grateful for all day. Um, so we were like, okay, that's fine. We went into a level one trauma hospital where they're having staff meetings that were doing life or death decisions about resource allocation. And what we were getting them to do is to start each meeting with one thing each person in the room was grateful for as they would go around the circle. Um, and it took a ton of social capital to do it because they are literally deciding who's going to live and die at these hospitals based upon where the money flows. Mm. Um, before they do that, they had to say one thing they were grateful for. So they had to go quick. So they already had to be scanning before they came into the meeting for one thing that they were grateful for. They did this for two years at Orlando Health, mm. the level one trauma hospital I was working with. Two years later, the Pulse nightclub shooting occurred three blocks down from them, the second largest shooting in U.S. history. And every one of the victims came to that hospital. It was the most traumatic event they would experienced as a community and as a hospital. And several hours later, they started their staff meetings with gratitude wow. again. And the reason for that was they realized for two years, they weren't just doing, trying to be successful at resource allocation together. They weren't just working together. They were deepening their social knowledge about one another, which was deepening their social bonds, which was the greatest predictor of their success when challenge actually came. Wow. So what happens in those moments is Google found it's not your individual attributes that necessarily matter. It's how you interact with the ecosystem of potential around you. You can have superstars that you put all onto a team, and if they don't have chemistry, they underperform what they're capable of. And that's true for you too, right? If you, as you're listening to this, are um, have a ton of strengths and attributes, but you're not linking up with the people around you, then you are, you're getting small potential instead of mm -hmm. big potential. You're getting something so much smaller out of you than what we could get otherwise. The height of your potential is predict predicted by the people that are around you. So 
how do we scan for that most valuable reality? I think we create these positive habits within our life. We practice scanning for three new things we're grateful for on a daily basis. We exercise. We try to meditate. We try to write a positive uh, two-minute email each day praising or thanking one person in your life. Very simple, concrete mm-hmm. things, but the deep in your social connection. We did this actually um, at a school. We found that uh, the schools, we got them to write, uh, to do their gratitude and then to write a positive email uh, or uh, it was a kind note mm-hmm. um, out to other people within their world. We've been doing this in the poorest county in Iowa, bottom mm-hmm. 10% school. Wow. Um, over the past five years, their ACT scores rose by three and a half points. They have a 92% graduation rate now. And for the first time in Iowa history, kids from the richer counties are coming to the poorest county in Iowa to get a better education. Wow. It's those moments that create the most valuable reality. We went into an insurance company. We got them to get together for a little bit each day in these huddles where they'd say one good thing that was going on in their life and one success that they had had at work. And they would do that every day off the phones, not earning money because they're off Hmm. the phones. And the revenues increased by 50% over the next 18-month period of time. Wow. Scan for the things you know work for you. Let's go back to those meeting markers. Insert those positive habits within your life and then do them with other people so you're benefiting from that social connection. And that's how we create that long-term, most valuable reality that allows us to achieve that happiness of ends and then ripple it out to other domains for our life. (laughs) Oh, man. What a strong way to end the episode. What a great story. The power of happiness, the power of gratitude. I'm telling you, we know this stuff is important, but for some reason we like to ignore it. We don't like to give it the attention it deserves because we feel like it's too simple. It's too simple to work. Well, maybe you should try it and see how it impacts your life. I'm telling you, what a treat to get Sean on the show. Again, this was Before Happiness, the five hidden keys to achieving success, spreading happiness, and sustaining positive change. I'm going to get Sean Aker back on the show. We're going to talk about his next book, And I'm telling you right now, I think as I continue to evolve this show, as it has over the past three years, I seem to gravitate more towards books like these. Because these are the things that can bring us all together. If I talk about sales and marketing, that only applies to some of you. Not all of you. But books that deal with the mind and how to think properly, that's something that brings us all together. We all have that in common. So I think I'm starting to gravitate more towards these books because it interests me more as well. Listen, I love sales and marketing. Trust me, I love what I do. But what I love even more is understanding how this thing in between your ears works even more. In any case, if you love this episode and if you love those kind of episodes, then give me some feedback. If you're listening on your iPhone, or if you're listening on iTunes, whatever, Apple Podcasts, they make it very easy for you to rate and review the show. All you got to do is hit five stars. If you love the show, hit five stars, leave a rating, leave a review. They make it very, very easy for you to do. Very simple. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to connect with me, then reach out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. When you reach out, just say hi. Tell me you found me through the show. You know, take a picture of yourself. Tell me where you're where you're listening to the show right now. Are you on the subway in New York? Are you taking a run in LA? Are you I don't know what the hell you're doing. Are you just enjoying the beach and in Australia? I don't know where you are in the world where you're listening. But wherever you are, let me know that you found me through the show and just take a moment to say hi. I truly appreciate that. In any case, my friends, that is a wrap for today. So thank you so much again for making time for me. I always appreciate that as well. And I will catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. It's trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. 
Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all. Absolute certainty. If you want to achieve anything in life, you need to get certain you will achieve it. You must believe in yourself. Beliefs control results because you will never take action towards something you don't believe is possible. You can have all the education in the world. It doesn't matter if you don't believe you can do it you will never get it do you think jordan could have become the greatest if he didn't believe in himself not a chance he would have quit when things got hard he would have quit when he was cut from his high school basketball team you think serena would be the greatest female tennis player in history without belief not a chance these great athletes Great entrepreneurs, great human beings are great because they believe in themselves. They believe when no one else does. They believe when they are down. They believe when they are at rock bottom. This is my dream, and I will succeed. Maybe not immediately, but absolutely and definitely. There is no doubt in my mind this goal I have this dream I have, I will get it. I will. I will. I will. Beliefs control your results because you will never take action towards something you don't believe is possible. In order to succeed, you must believe. In order to believe you're good enough, you must be good enough. If you're not there yet, get to work. Work. Until you get to the place where you know you will make it. No doubt. No doubt. I will make it. I will get it. I will have it. Work on your weaknesses until they become your strengths. Work on your flaws until they become your fire. Work on your problems until they become your power. You have to believe that something great can happen. Even if there is no evidence, believe. Even if others say it is impossible, believe. Even when everything is going wrong, believe. Change your belief that you can't to the knowing that you can. Change the belief that there are limitations to the knowing there are none. Change the belief that there isn't a way and push yourself to find your own path, your own answers, your own way. You can't just go off logic. The greatest achievements in the world defy logic. They are born from belief. The greatest achievements did not come from someone who saw what was possible and didn't dare attempt better. The greatest achievements came from those who see what is possible but still believe. 
that can achieve something impossible.